Good afternoon, everyone. This is Pilot Jim G coming to you live from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, home of AirVenture 2016. This is UCAP episode 409 Alpha. Today's daily episode on Sunday, the day before opening day. Things are busy here on the field. We see a lot of tents being set up, exhibits being put together, and it is steamy hot. If you think too hard, you start dripping. I'm here with my good friends, Dave Higdon and Jeb Burnside. Dave, good to see you today. It's good to be here. I've been bopping around the grounds a little bit, uh, trying to prove how much I can sweat up a t-shirt in one hour. And it's been a great success so far. You're doing a good. It looks from the looks of it, you're doing it. You're doing it right, Jeb. How about you? You sweating a little? Just a little bit. I, I, I obviously got a shower this morning. By the time I got back to my campsite, I needed another shower. Uh, it's, it's just one of those days. The, the forecast is for all this to blow out of here tonight or tomorrow, uh, and at least a couple of three days of, of more normal low humidity Oshkosh weather. But uh, my fingers are crossed. Let's hope so. And we've got to tip our hat to. All the survivors of what last night could truly be called a frog strangler of a storm that hit about 2 a.m. Uh, for, the, for those of our listeners who have never spent the night in a tent in a thunderstorm, it's a trip. Well, it was a light show equivalent to going to see Pink Floyd play years ago. So, Sound effects, too. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, and a, a big variety in the tone and notes and proximity. So. I, the, the thunderstorm didn't wake me up so much as, as there was some snoring from a tent next to mine. I, I'm not sure who it was, but I, I was aware of that. Let's just put it that way. So um, I, I wanted to, to uh, take a moment also to introduce, uh, um, I guess, the reason for this episode. Uh, I've talked about my good friend uh, Adrian Icorn on uh, other episodes of the podcast before. Um, Adrian is the guy who recently flew his Bonanza around the world. And uh, there's, there's several stories about that, but uh, uh, first of all, let me simply introduce Adrian Icorn, a uh, good friend of mine, uh, pilot, uh, first officer for, quote, major airline, unquote, and all-around good guy. Well, thank you, Jeb. It's an honor to be here, and uh, it's good to be back in the U.S. I, I completely understand that. Tell me in broad strokes what this around-the-world thing entailed for you. Well, to start with, about a, about a year ago, I started some pretty intense planning and it seemed the more people I spoke with the more I realized how little I would knew and how much more information I needed to gather and how much planning it would take to do the trip but uh, something that's been on the bucket list I won't say all my life but probably ever since I started flying I kind of dreamed of someday doing it and uh, a couple years ago I said to myself there's only one reason only one person standing in my way from allowing me to complete the trip, and that was my, myself. So I made the decision to do it, and at that time, I didn't know how I was going to f- pay for it. I didn't know how I was going to get the time off of work. I didn't know how I was going to equip the ga- airplane with enough gas to fly the 2,000-plus legs over the Pacific, but it's like a lot of things in life. Made the decision to do it and then figured it out. So You made the decision to go around the world. You had, you had done a, a three-ship flight up to... Uh, Iceland, I believe. Greenland. Greenland, excuse me. Uh, and um, you were kind of thinking about what to do next after that. Right. We're on our way back, and uh, we had a, three bonanzas and seven people. We're having dinner, and uh, the topic came up, what is going to be our next epic adventure? And uh, Ernie Brenner, an A-36 uh, pilot and a former uh, Army Airborne Ranger, 
said, hey, let's do beaches to beach. So we were going to fly three beaches over the, the shores of Normandy. And in retrospect, that would have been a fun trip. Flying around the world is exhausting, and it's a lot of hard work. But uh, I came up with the idea that, well, I don't want to fly all the way to Normandy and turn around and come back. Let's just keep going. And originally, all three planes were in, but then they looked at the time commitment, the cost, and the difficulty of doing it, and I ended up going solo, which I don't think I would ever make this trip with another airplane because you get to certain parts of the world and have a maintenance issue, you're screwed. You know, it could be very, very costly and, and uh, timely to get it, un take a lot of time to get it fixed. So, but that's where the initial seed was planted. Uh, but it was going to be beaches to beach. So that may be our next trip because crossing the Atlantic and back, it'd be fun. You know, what I, I, I know the answers to some of these questions, but in, in your own words, what kind of prep did you have to do to the airplane? Um, the biggest thing was equipped it with fuel, uh, with the large tip tanks. I elected to go with wing tip tanks instead of a cabin tank, which gave me more flexibility with the CG and more comfort in the cabin and places to put the emergency equipment. And then I looked into, okay, what do I need for redundant systems? I had no standby alternator. I put that on. I had no carbon monoxide detector. Put one of those in. I didn't have, uh, um really any backup instruments nor an autopilot so I just started equipping it so I didn't have any single point of failure with any systems on the airplane obviously except for the engine <laughs> which is kind of important I guess so but uh, so yeah that was it and L3 was one of my sponsors they provided me with the new Lynx 9000 and the ESI 500 standby attitude indicator and a storm scope so very generous of them and all three of those pieces of equipment were needed for the trip, especially the storm scope, and they worked. They worked perfectly. And, and I should mention that we're um, um, standing about 20 feet from the airplane, which is beside uh, uh, a tent uh, operated uh, by L3 here at, uh, at AirVenture uh, 2016. Um, Adrian, I so admire. The thought that went into the preparation, you know, I'm looking, I'm building an airplane right now and redundancy in the systems that I have is high on my list, although I have no round-the-world ambitions, maybe around South America and back someday. But did you load up with spare parts that you might need if something broke on the way? Actually, I didn't. I took minimal tools and no spare parts, I think two spark plugs and some oil and oil filters because... I figured Murphy's Law, no matter where I was or what the problem was, I wouldn't have all the tools I would need nor the parts. And, uh, you know, even though I flew most of the, the trip solo, um, Tom Haynes was with me from Normandy to Germany and down to Egypt. Uh, even though it was a solo flight, I, I didn't fly the trip alone because I had two guys, John Whitehead and Bill Compton, that helped me with flight planning and performance and physiology. Bill Compton's a, 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 a doctor. And John was exceptionally good with weather, so they were with me the whole time. And then I had my good friend Dave Monte out in Minden, Nevada, who knows the airplane. He has a Bonanza. Uh, he runs a certified repair shop that works exclusively on Bonanza. So I figured no matter where I was, I wouldn't have everything that I needed to fix the problem. So I figured I'd just be stuck and I'd have to communicate via the Internet or phone and say, hey, this is a problem, send me this. And so I had a, I had a strong ground support for flight and for maintenance, which 
That is key to a journey like this. You simply can't make a trip like that by yourself. You got to have somebody looking over your back because John on numerous accounts saved my bacon. I mean, those guys were invaluable. You hit on the other thing that was on my mind while I was following you along the trip, the physiological demands of this. What kind of special preparations and, and cautions went into that to, to, to keep you awake when you needed to be awake and let you sleep when you needed to sleep? You know, um, I tried to stay in shape prior to leaving on the trip to be in as best shape as I could be despite all the things that were going to get ready for it. But just to stay hydrated and well-nourished and uh, on the trip, I mean, if there's any type of food illness within 100 miles, I'll get it by just looking at food. So I was very, very conservative on what I ate and uh, what I drank and didn't really go out and enjoy any of the foods in any of the foreign countries because I didn't want to get sick. But, uh, you know, one thing that really surprised me about this trip is I had taken movies to have on my iPad and, and, and loaded up my iPhone with music and I thought I'd need that to keep me awake on the long legs across the Pacific and across the Atlantic and uh, man you couldn't have paid me to sleep. A you're busy and uh, it's just when you're flying a single engine airplane where everything has to be working properly and if you're if you're not monitoring your fuel flow or you're not monitoring your HF or something drops offline and you don't catch it I, I could never relax. I tried a couple times to put my head back and close my eyes and about within five seconds I'd open and look at the engine monitor and say forget it but you know you're busy because across I was changing uh, fuel tanks every 30 minutes to help balance the weight in the wings normally on quarter after the hour and 45 past and then uh, I would make ops normal reports on the top and the bottom of the hour through the Pacific and in addition to a position report so there's really five things that you're thinking about and monitoring fuel and uh my approach for fuel was to carry way more gas than what I needed. And, and Bill Compton, who helped me with per, the performance, is probably still shaking his head because I was so conservative. But I didn't ever want to have to worry about fuel the last couple hours. And took off out of Honolulu, landed in Oakland with almost 65 gallons of gas in the, in the tank. So the plane had the capability to fly way longer than what I needed to. Who were you talking to on the long legs? Who was monitoring the flight, and how were how were you? Who were you giving position reports to? Across the Atlantic, it's uh, I think it was Shanwick and uh, and Gander, and through, then Singapore radio. The Pacific used to, interestingly enough, used to be Oakland radio, but down south it's Auckland radio, and there was a confusion: Oakland, Auckland, Oakland, Auckland. So it's now San Francisco radio, which I believe is in Oakland, ironically. But San Francisco radio from Guam all the way back to California, they carry pretty much the whole Pacific. And then through uh, Indonesia, it was Singapore, it was Hong Kong, it was different, different frequencies. So uh, the HF worked perfectly. Were you able to communicate with your ground team, your support team? I was. I had a device in the airplane a spider, made by Spider Tracks, a Spider 6. I was able to text back and forth, and I had a Uridium Satcom phone that was hit or miss where I was at, and I didn't really rely on that. So we were sending texts back and forth, and I'd be getting updated weather reports from them, and that's very comforting. And then on the uh, VHF radios, I had 121.5 and 123.4, or 123.45, and would just talk with anybody that was out there. And I remember one night, it's, it's dark, and I'm flying along, and it's perfectly quiet, and someone comes across on 123.45, and it's some pilot. He goes, is anybody out there hiring? <laughs> That <laughs> made me smile. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it, there's lots of little good stories like that. But, uh, well, 
after after all of that, how was reentry? How was your day getting back to the day job and and coming down from that that adrenaline high? You know, it was almost anticlimactic, Jeb, because uh, when I got to Oakland. Uh, it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. The next day, I flew the airplane up to Minden, Nevada, left it with Dave Monty, hopped on an airline, went home. And I, I did that to get back to work, to sleep in my own bed, to pay my bills, flew a couple trips with JetBlue, and then, uh, then I went back and got the airplane and flew it across the state so I could enjoy that part. And, you know, people ask me what was the most interesting part of the trip, and I can't say that there's any one part in particular, but what stood out in my mind was overflying the shores of Normandy and seeing the perspective that the airmen had when they had the invasion. That was incredible. And Tom Haynes and I got to enjoy that. Flying down the Nile to Ashwan and seeing the pyramids was cool. But in all honesty, the trip from Centennial, Colorado, after I met with Jeppesen folks, flying to Kansas City, crystal clear, had a good tailwind. I was probably flying V-speeds close to an F-33 Bonanza, like my friend Jeb Burnside has. That's a joke for you listeners out there. And, uh, but just looking down and seeing the manicured farm fields, perfect day in, and all the little towns was an airport. And just thinking that in this country, we have the infrastructure. It's been there. We built it. And uh, we have a freedom that, that is nowhere else in the world, not even close. In Egypt, we, we landed at 6 October Airport right next to Cairo. 20 million people in Cairo. There are five GA pilots in the whole country of Egypt, and only one He's a doctor. We had dinner with him, a heart surgeon. He owns a Cessna 172. And everywhere you go over there, the, the, the fees, the restrictive airspaces, and the, the cost on the ground for handling and for landing. And landing in Masro, for example, $375 landing fee, $175 just to turn on the airport lights, $500 handling fee. It's ridiculous. And over here, we have the greatest freedom of anybody. So... I just, I just hope that never changes. I hope the next time somebody brings up user fees, we all band together to fight that. And, and we will. I, I, are you going to put a bigger engine in there so you can go faster? No. Well, maybe, because uh, there's already talk of going around the world over the poles, and I think I wouldn't do that without a 550, so I could get a little higher and a little faster. You, you can get up above, get above in the three digits. Yeah. You know, the little daunting on the, the Honolulu to... Uh, Oakland leg it was a beautiful high pressure, which meant a headwind most of the way. And at one time, I saw my ground speed at 119 knots, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this isn't pretty. But that wasn't for long, and ironically, John Whitehead was watching the flight. He sent me an email saying, don't worry, because I texted him. It's like, John, this is not going as planned. He goes, don't worry. In another hour, it'll switch to a quartering tailwind. In two hours, you know, 400 miles an hour or whatever, you'll have a strong tailwind. And it happened as exactly as planned. Very comforting. Your strong tailwind from 119, that gave you what, 125? You know, I think I saw 125 momentarily, but that might have been in a dive, you know. Yeah. Slight, slight updraft or yeah, something? Yeah, exactly. yeah, okay. We're reaching the end of our allotted time. Let me ask you this. Um, well, two things. A, would you do it again? B, what would you, 25 words or less, tell someone who wants to do this on their own? Well, I'll answer your second question first. Absolutely, if you want to do it, do it. Do it now because... The situation in the world continues to get worse. The countries that don't like America, I think, seem to become, um, that, that list is growing. The problems you're going to have will probably be on the ground and not in the air, but I would do it. But have a good ground support team. Do not think, even think about doing this without people to help you out. And uh, what was the first question? Would you do it again? 
if I could eliminate the section from Egypt to Manila, I'd do it every day of the week if I could afford it. Uh, the crossing the Pacific was a, a great experience. The Atlantic, I, I don't mind flying over water in a single-engine airplane. Going over Subang with severe mountains, um, uh, you know, there's risk with everything we do. Flying over the water doesn't really bother me. It's something that 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 I've learned to accept. And it, you know, if the sea state is somewhat calm, you might have a good chance of of getting out of your airplane and getting to your raft. If it's a really rough sea state, who knows? But uh, yeah, I'd do it again, Jeff. Absolutely. Very cool. We might we might talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, I've got just enough overwater experience to appreciate what you're talking about because when my nerves were acting up just going from the uh, uh, mainland of Florida to Key West over water the day before we were going to tackle Grand Cayman a friend of mine on the phone reminded me the airplane doesn't know where it is only the pilot can make that make that feel bad so I remember early years when I used to come to Oshkosh with my dad, I'd pick him up in Michigan, and we'd overfly Lake Michigan, 70-mile stretch, and we'd climb to 14,000 feet. And in July when the water's warm, and now I figure I went 2,200 miles over the ocean at 9,000 feet. So I think it's something you just got to get comfortable with. Everybody has a different level of risk that they accept. And for me, I'd prefer to fly over water. The weather's generally better than over land. Um, but yeah, I'd do it again, Jeb. All right, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Jim, anything? Thanks, Adrian. We appreciate your uh, time today and joining us on the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast here at AirVenture. It's uh, it's a great story and one that, you know, hopefully this will inspire one young, if it inspires one young person, even just get in aviation, then it's a, then it's a success. It really is. Absolutely. We appreciate your uh, your spirit and your, um, your help with us today. Thank you. Jeb? Take us home, Jim. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, Jim. And congratulations. Uh, it was a fantasy of mine one day, and now I look at it and go, that's a great fantasy to hold on to. So, exactly. All right, this is Pilot Jim G for the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast, closing out Episode 409 Alpha. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye now. <laughs>